For years now, the New York real estate industry has been angsting over a piece of legislation that would amend the real property law, prohibiting eviction without good cause. eviction moratorium expired and some tenants now facing possible evictions, advocates are once again renewing the call, asking state lawmakers to pass the Good Cause eviction bill. The bill, commonly referred to as Good Cause, has been around for a while, but supporters are now confident it will pass. Families should never have to feel that their roof over their head is unstable and they are pushed and priced out of their homes. Right now, when a residential lease ends, it's up to the landlord if that lease is renewed or not, and whether the rent goes up and by how much. But good cause would provide automatic lease renewals, if those tenants are paying rent and not causing a nuisance. And under this law, tenants can't be evicted for not paying what's described as an unreasonable rent increase, which is defined as either greater than 3% or one and a half times the annual percentage change in the local CPI. I'm Miriam Hall, and today on BizNow Reports, we're hearing from two lawyers who have very different takes on what this legislation would mean. For Judith Goldener, who's the attorney in charge of the Legal Aid Society Civil Law Reform Unit, it's a code of conduct that would help protect New Yorkers. Legal Aid assisted in the drafting of the legislation, and she says that the opponents of it are exploiting myths about it, and notes that New Jersey has had similar rules for 48 years. We're hearing from her in just a moment, First, though, Alexander Likianis. He's an attorney at Rosenberg and Estes' litigation and appeals departments. He says this law would affect a reversal of the concept of property ownership. If this were to pass, you would go from a free market to, I would call it a draconian rent control system. What the good cause proposal does is it abolishes the idea that there should be a lease for a certain amount of time. And it essentially takes the free market system and it turns it essentially into a life estate for the tenant. The tenant can stay as long as he or she wants uh, and has a right to renewals forever. Um, so I, I think it really takes the, the concept that the owner owns the property and can control the property and who lives there. But if this passes, that's totally flipped on its head. Whoever happens to be in possession at the time that this passes, can stay forever. Really? Yes. Is that really true though? I thought it was just that they had a right to renewal. It's not just a right to renewal. If, If you look at the good cause bases, what it says in the statute is that the expiration of a lease is not a basis for good cause, which it is now. And it specifically says the various good cause bases. I think there, I think there's eight of them, right? So it's non-payment of rent, but it can't result from an unreasonable rent increase. It's not defined. I mean, the statute talks about 3, 3% and people talk about it as a 3% rent cap, which it's not. There's other bases, uh, you know, nuisance and using it for a legal purpose, but the common thread is that it's very, very difficult um, and would cause, and it would take a lot of legal expense and legal you know, maneuvering on even the simplest cases. So essentially the tenants, whoever is in possession, if and when this passes, or it would be just ensconced in place. This law doesn't apply to owner-occupied buildings of fewer than four units, and violating the terms of the lease is also grounds for eviction, 
as is committing or permitting a nuisance, or if the landlord wants to take the apartment back for personal use. Plus, a property owner can still present evidence to a court to argue why the rent increase is not unreasonable. One of the bases for good cause for, uh, for seeking to evict a tenant is for the non-payment of rent. But the statute also says that the non-payment can't be the result of an unreasonable rent increase. And if, and if you look at the bill, there's a period, the sentence stops, right? So unreasonable, period, okay? The next sentence says that if there is a rent increase of 3% or one and a half times CPI, the, the rent increase is presumptively unreasonable, okay? What does that mean? That means that the burden is on the owner to come back and say, oh, no, no, I had to raise it 5% or 10% because the price of fuel increased or the taxes increased or I had need, the building needs a new roof or, or something, right? So the owner can go make that case to the court, but the court can, it's, it's up to the court at that point, right? And on the flip side of that, let's say the rent has only increased 1%, right? So $2,500 a month. $25. The owner brings the tenant to court for not paying. The tenant can still say that $25 is unreasonable. And while it, most times I would think the, the, the judge would say that that's not unreasonable, the owner still has to hire an attorney, still has to respond, and it's just going to be more expense and, and more headache. And by the way, uh, tenants under a certain income level in New York City have, have a right to counsel. And there's a state bill that wants to give all tenants, regardless of income, a right to counsel. So if that passes, every, any single time the owner tries to increase the rent by you know, a dollar or $20 or $100, they're going to they're be taken to court. It, it's just part of a larger anti-owner atmosphere that's currently prevailing in, in the legislature. And this is just one, one aspect of it. From a tenant's perspective, like why shouldn't they get a renewal? If they're paying their rent and they're a good tenant and they're not doing any illegal activities, like why shouldn't they get the chance to renew their lease? Well, I mean, you, you have to look at this as a practical matter. Um, if you speak to owners, you know, there, there's this, I, I think, I, I don't know what you want to call it, a misconception or horror stories about rapacious owners who want to just toss people out willy-nilly, if you actually speak to owners of real property, especially smaller owners, stability in buildings is probably the most important aspect, right? Because if you, if, if, if you know, someone is renting an apartment for 2,500 bucks a month and the owner thinks, well, I could probably get 3,500, but I have this tenant who's been in for, for five years and they pay the rent on time, and they're telling me that they can't really pay too much more, you know, 99 out of 100 owners are gonna keep that rent at that level or not too much longer because they want stability. So what would be the big problem with the law then? Well, well there are a lot of big problems with the law. Like wouldn't it, like from, from someone listening to this who's like pro good cause would say, well, so, like, then great, like, let's just get a law in place. They don't wanna chuck them out anyway. Let's get a law, let's get the rules out there. Let's formalize that they can't chuck them out. If they don't want to chuck them out anyway, they're paying rent. You have to look at what the statute says, right? So let's just say, for example, you have a tenant paying $2,500 a month. And, you know, let's say that the, the, the building is a new roof or there, some, some expense, you know, needs to happen. You, know, you could have a great tenant and 
you know, there, there, there could, however, be situations where the landlord's expenses increase. So let's say that the rent has to go up to, you know, $2,800 or $3,000, right? Just because taxes, because all of the expenses go up, right? So under good cause, if that happens, then the tenant would have the opportunity to say, no, I'm not paying it. And, you know, you, you brought me to court for not paying it, but this is an unreasonable rent increase. So you could go in, the owner could go, could respond and say, can, could establish all of the reasons why uh, that, that should happen or why the rent increase should be affirmed by the court. But every single time that there's a rent increase, the owner would be subject to that. And if the owner has to every single time uh, go to court or if there's a threat of going to court, the impetus or the, the tendency is going to be to just leave the rent as it is because the owner doesn't want to go through the expense and go through the headache. You don't need this law because it's just going to discourage investment. It's going to, it's just going to be interference and it's, it's just not necessary. But legal aid lawyer Judith Goldener completely disagrees. She says her organisation is seeing a major jump in the number of evictions that aren't for the non-payment of rent, what's known as holdover cases. And she puts that down to the fact that landlords are looking to raise prices significantly. She says the backlash to the law is unfounded and would actually reduce court activity. There's so many myths that the landlords have been putting out about good cause. I mean, if a tenant is in fact a bad tenant and is causing problems, that's some, a tenant who can be evicted under good cause. Those are, that's a good reason to evict a tenant. Quite a bit of misinformation out there. For example, landlords tell us, oh, if you pass good cause, we can't evict for non-payment of rent. Well, non-payment of rent is actually the first reason why you can evict a tenant under good cause. It seems like this would be something that landlords would say, well, that's fair. You should leave. <laughs> if you, you re- lease is up, you should go. Well, that's where we disagree. We think that a good landlord would only evict a tenant if they had a reason, a good reason to evict someone. And that's what most of the small landlords would do. So when one of the reasons why owner-occupied small buildings are exempt is because our research shows that those are landlords who don't evict unless they have a reason. Let's talk a little bit about the legislation. It was proposed at the time of the rent reform legislation came through and it didn't actually make it. Have you been have you been involved in the legislation for a while, looking at it and encouraging it to go forward? Yes, we helped draft the legislation. It's modeled on the New Jersey law, which was passed 48 years ago. So not a radical concept. They've had it in New Jersey for a long time. And we've been working on it since 2019 to try and get it passed. Were you expecting it to upset people? I mean, I'm quite surprised, honestly. I think that the landlords have been quite effective at exploiting things that the legislation really does not do. And I don't really understand why there's so much opposition to something that's a very mild form of tenant protection. Talk me through what the legislation does. So what the legislation says is that a tenant can only be evicted at the end of their leasehold if the landlord has a good reason, such as non-payment of rent, such as nuisance, such as they want the landlord wants to occupy the apartment for their own or their family members, breach of lease, 
um, those kind of reasons, which are generally the kind of reasons you would think would be reasons why a tenant should be evicted. And, and, and there's also a provision that defines what a reasonable rent increase is. So it says that a landlord can only raise the rent by a reasonable amount and reasonableness is defined as either, well, it defi- it makes a presumption of reasonableness. So the, it's presumed to, to be reasonable if the rent increase is either three, the higher of 3% or one and a half times the consumer price index, which currently would be about 10 to 11% a year. So that would be presumed to be reasonable unless the landlord can rebut the presumption by showing that there have been major increases in expenses such that they would need a higher increase. So really, it's just setting a framework for landlords and tenants to negotiate over what a reasonable rent increase is and set parameters for what a good reason would be for a tenant to be evicted. Right, so it couldn't go, say, for example, 20% without any discussion. In, in No, but let's say, for example, I, you know, I'm the landlord and I have to replace my boiler, then a 20% increase might be reasonable. And the idea would be a landlord and tenant would have a, a conversation, so the landlord would say to the tenant, you know, normally I would raise your rent by one and a half times the consumer price index, which would be 10%, but this year I really need it to be 20% because as you know, I had to replace the boiler this year. And the idea would be that they, the landlord and tenant can come to some kind of agreement on what a reasonable rent increase would be, and then they would move forward from that. And if they can't agree, then the landlord would go to court. The landlord would go to court to get them out. Right. I see. I and see. then a judge would decide whether, in fact, the rent increase offered would, was, in fact, reasonable. Do you expect that there'll be a lot of court? If this legislation goes through, do you think there's going to be a real jump in like the court activity as a result of this? We actually think there'll be less court. I mean, that's what they found in New Jersey. That when you set um, standards, um, then there's a whole lot of cases that won't get brought. First of all, because you have a way for tenants and landlords to negotiate without the need for court. So they would only go to court if they can't reach an agreement. Because currently, for a tenant, when they get told you have to leave with a no cause, there's no reason for them not to wait out the landlord, take go to court, and hope that the delays mean they have time to find another place to live. Okay. So that's what most places... Pl- so for example, in California, some of the localities who passed good cause in California did a study and the study showed that it actually resulted in a decrease in cases, not an increase in cases. Where are you looking around the country, apart from New Jersey, of course, which is the basis of the legislation? California, Oregon, Washington, DC, they all have good cause laws. And when you say that landlords are exploiting myths, what would you say the biggest myths are about this legislation? Well, one, that you can't evict a tenant for non-payment of rent. Uh, two, that you can't, that there are no reasons you can evict a tenant. That's not true. That the that 3% is the ceiling on rent increases when in fact 3% would be a floor on what a rent increase could be. So landlords act like it's a 3% cap on rent increases. And that's all they'll be re- raising rents for the rest can, of their lives. Right. But in fact, 3% is the lowest it could ever be. And that's assuming 
that the consumer price index is negative and that there are no other expenses that the landlord could show um, would be reasonable to pass along to the tenant. And the other myth that landlords say is that it will discourage development. Now, the irony of that is that New Jersey, which has had this, as I said, for 48 years, has seen a boom in development that's much greater than any development we've seen in New New York State at all, especially in New York City and the surrounding suburbs. Is it um, what they would describe? Um, at one point, they were calling it universal rent control. Is that right, do you think? Is that an accurate description? Not at all. I mean, first of all, rent control or rent stabilization is, in fact, a hard cap in rent. So remember I was saying floor, not a ceiling, and that it's a rebuttable presumption under um, good cause? Mm-hmm. Well, rent control, rent stabilization is completely different from that. The Rent Guidelines Board sets a level at which all leases can be increased and you cannot increase the rent more than that. Hard cap. This is not like that at all. Um, In addition, there are many, many more regulations. So for example, with rent regulation, if you're a rent regulated tenant and you move out and I move in, I am still rent regulated and my rent can only be raised from a certain amount for what the person who was living there before paid. Here, If you're living in a good cause apartment and you move out, the landlord can charge whatever they want to the new tenant who moves in. You said that small landlords are are exempt from this legislation, is that right? Yes. So uh, how small would you need to be? A three unit building that's owner occupied is exempt from good cause. And as I said, that's because what we find is owner occupied buildings tend to be better maintained. It's not too surprising because if you're the landlord and you live there, you're going to want heat and hot water, because otherwise you're not having heat and hot water. Um, And they tend to value a long-term good-paying tenant um, over flipping apartments and increasing the rent. So as long as you live in the apartment, you would be exempt from... uh, Sorry, as long as you live in the building and you have apartments in the building, you would be exempt. Exactly. What if you had multiple small... No, it's only a building that you live in. Because a lot of these landlords will say, these are small mom-and-pop owners who are going to be vilified by this? No, I mean, the small landlords who live in their buildings, it would not apply to them. It does apply to landlords who do not live in their buildings, and it applies to landlords overall. But remember, it's a very gentle form of tenant protection. And so the idea that it really harms a landlord, I think is really the wrong way to look at it. It, I think of it more as a code of conduct between landlords and tenants about what behavior is okay, what behavior is not okay, and diffusing a lot of the conflict that we see between landlords and tenants. Why do you think now's the time that this is um, gaining traction? Because of the pandemic? Because of the difficulties in the city? I think that the pandemic plays a huge role here. We saw during the pandemic how important it was to have a stable place to live, to have a, a roof over your head from a public health perspective, right? It hurt all of us if people who were infected didn't have a place to quarantine and and, uh, be apart. So I think that really magnified the need for stable, affordable housing for people. The other thing we have seen since, you know, during this time is skyrocketing rents. And I think people are seeing that all over the place, like how crazy the rental market is. You guys have probably written about how um, 
people are seeing bidding wars on apartments. We never used to see that. I mean, I was shocked to hear that that was happening. What would you say if you could say to a landlord, if you were in a conversation with them, who are vehemently against this, who describe this as a demonization and the continued demonization of what they do in the city? I mean, I, what I would say is that they've had this in New Jersey for 48 years and it's been fine. And so maybe they should talk to landlords in New Jersey about how it's worked out for them. And also California and also Oregon and also Washington. So I think taking a deep breath and looking at what the legislation actually does instead of what I would say outside landlord agitators are saying it does. Because really what it does is a good landlord is not gonna evict a tenant unless they have a good reason. And so do you put yourself in that good landlord category or do you put yourself in the bad landlord category? I know that you're not a, um, a lobbyist, so you may not have a huge insight into this, but do you think this legislation is going to pass? I feel very confident about that. It's, um, I think there's, as I said, I think because of the pandemic, because of the public health crisis we've just suffered, people really understand the need to have, keep people in their homes. You know, we don't need to magnify the homeless crisis that we're seeing right now. And this is one way to help people stay stably housed. We did see um, a lot of um, challenges to the rent reform legislation on the grounds it wasn't constitutional, things like that. Landlord groups took it to court and, and rallied against it. I don't think any of them have been successful, but would you predict that something like this could um, be attacked in that way? And what would you rate the chances? I'm a lawyer. People can file a lawsuit for anything they want to. Rent regulation has been repeatedly upheld by the courts, including the five cases the landlords brought against the Housing Stability and Tenant Protection Act mm -hmm. were all dismissed. They've now argued two of the cases in the federal appellate court, and I would say that the judge that both panels were extremely uninterested in the landlord's arguments. Given that rent regulation, which is a much stricter form of tenant protection than good cause, has been challenged multiple times for decades and has always been upheld as a reasonable exercise of the legislature's police power, I don't see any reason why there would be a successful challenge. That's Judith Goldenup. She's the attorney in charge of the Civil Law Reform Unit at the Legal Aid Society. Before that, Alexander Lykianis of Rosenberg and Estes. I did ask Senator Julia Salazar's office for comment. She's a sponsor on the bill, as well as Senator Brian Kavanaugh, who was a co-sponsor, but neither were available. The state legislature has been in budget negotiations this week. I'm Miriam Hall. Thanks for listening.